I was never a victim. And that's my, one of my messages to young people. Never be a victim. Use energy of being a victim to figure out what's next. Because what's next is not easy either. I don't think young people can understand the interface between their genes and what's happened to them until later on in life. And the interface between your genes and your, and, and your, and your experiences for the first 18 or 20 years is it, it's what makes you. Makes you it, it controls your decisions. It teaches you how you act, react to certain kinds of things. That's very complicated. But I want people to start writing down their passions. Because passions change. I want them to start to collect their principles. I want them to recognize they need partners and partners for different things. And then I also want people to plan. Welcome to Straight Talk, where we cut through the BS and get straight into real conversations with some of the best minds of the planet. I am your host, Af Mohotra. I am blessed to be leading these extraordinary discussions and asking tough questions that then elicit insightful answers, accelerating our awareness of the biggest issues impacting our lives and the future of humanity. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm Af Mohotra, the founder of Straight Talk, and of course, your host too. And every episode, um, I come with a big smile, and there's a reason for it, because I start the episode with joy, I finish with inspiration, and, and even more energy than when I started. It's because we're blessed to have these great people who come to our show, uh, totally totally free by the way, complimentary, pro bono, and spend and tolerate me for an hour and share some very personal stories. And today, there's a gentleman who's joining us, uh, the great Ed uh, Hedgem, and he's on the show because I spotted a book that has become a bit of a sensation for him. I'm sure he's scripted this out many times and he's been repeating the story so many times. I'm going to try not to force him to do that, but his book, um, which is called On the Road um, Less Travelled, with, with the subtext or subtitle, Un, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. And uh, it's a it's a wild title, actually. And it, as soon as you read the title without studying it, you automatically jump into making a lot of assumptions. And there's a level of intrigue. There's a level of excitement as to, well, what, what's this guy going to talk about? The orphanage, the boardroom, how did that happen? And then you want to know how that story has formed. I certainly did. And I'm in the, I'm in the middle of the book. So I won't spoil it for all of you, and we'll talk more about the book. Today is not just about the book, though. It's about this man and his journey, this person. And I, I want to try and absorb and suck out all of the wisdom uh, selfishly for all of our straight talkers. We have thousands and thousands of straight talkers, Ed. So firstly, welcome to the show, uh, Ed. It's a real pleasure to have you. Nice Thank to be you here. For, yeah, feelings, feelings are mutual. So my first question for you really, and it's these, these are big questions, so I'm going to try and boil them down because I'd like specifics so we can help our straight talkers. And we've got, we've got all sorts of people listening, CEOs of companies, uh, young people, Generation Z, you know, Generation Z who are uh, the 25-year-olds and below. As you know, you've got grandkids, eight of them, I believe, so you're blessed. And so you'll know the score. And we have uh, academics who think differently. We have philosophers. We have entrepreneurs like myself. So you're talking to a wide audience, and we're all trying to extract as much as we can. So I want to start firstly with asking you a little bit about you as a person, you know, you're a well-traveled guy. You, uh, you, you, we were joking a second ago. It was your birthday yesterday, so you're fellow Leo, yeah. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say you look great. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's, that's what, that's what you do look, and you look great. And um, uh, tell us about. Firstly, you wrote this book. You said it took you seven and a half years, multiple manuscripts, and so on. Why did you write this book now, at this stage of your life? Um, what, what's the why behind it? We'd like to understand that first, and then we'll travel from there on. Yeah, my, my daughter is a, 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 a gatekeeper for TED Talks, and she says, my, I answer the questions too long. Says, Don't be afraid to cut me off. It was very simple. At 18, graduating from the orphanage, and I always felt I could not figure out why I was in an orphanage, and I always thought different than most of the other children there. And so I decided when I left for college, I was going to bury my past. Right. I did it six, and I went to go and, and people would ask me, who are you? And I would say, and my mother died when I was three, which wasn't true, but I didn't find that out for many years. 
and my father was a merchant marine, and we lived in a post office box in San Francisco. Finish. And that went on for nearly 60 years. And then two things happened. One, I became the chairman of the board of the University of Rochester, and they were probing into my background. And my, my wife and my children, who didn't know the whole story, said, Dad, you got to write it down. And I said, OK, I'll produce something that you guys can stuff in the, you know, in your in your libraries and call it a day. I sat down. I started to write the book. When I finally got done with the book and I sent the galleys out to 15 of my friends. And they said, no, no, you can't just bury this with your family. You've got to take it to a wider audience. So the pressures from the University of Rochester to learn who I really was and then my family. And then finally, Horatio Alger came along and gave me the Horatio Alger Award. And of course, they required that I laid out my background. And as I got mm -hmm. into it, I found it to be fascinating. First of all, I had to separate facts from what I remembered. What is lucky mm -hmm. is I saved every letter my father wrote me. And when he died, I got a suitcase which had every letter which I wrote him. So that we spread those out on a table and started to learn about what really happened. And also the, the, the fascination, I was an engineer and in the finance world, I did some writing, but the ability to put your thoughts down on paper and communicate an idea that you want to communicate, that's only the first step. Second step is reading it and see whether the reader is understanding what you said. So this was a fascination for me as well. And then, of course, the book started to open. I started to learn a lot about myself, and I started to learn a lot about my relationships with people, with my father. Yeah. And, of course, once the book was issued, you know. So this was there were a lot of reasons for that. But that, the main reason was wife and family, University of Rochester, Horatio Rochester kind of came together. I was in my mid-70s. And, you know, what else can I do? And I must say, when I started to write it, it started to fascinate me to put down this life in one place. And as you said, I had many incarnations. And I didn't realize how many incarnations I had until I started writing the book. In fact, one of my closest friends said, you had trouble keeping a job, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think these, these incarnations in one's life... Um, we all go through adversities. We all go through tough times. You know, some people deal with it in a particular way, and then they have their own coping mechanism. Others in another. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong. I, 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 it's, we can't judge. But I think what I find fascinating about your journey is, um, and I'll talk about the land you're in. It's very important to call this out because I, I'm in the United Kingdom. I'm in Britain, so I'm not in America. I get the story of America. I get the promise of America. I get the dream of America, and. There are thousands of stories of success in America. It's incredible. It's an incredible promise. It's incredible. Well, that's and, one of the messages of the book is anything is possible. Yeah. And, and I, have to say, I have to say that, uh, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds would read this and say, wow, I mean, this is just amazing. But I think there is one big advantage, and, and you're, you're obviously core to this, but I think the country that you're in, you just happen to be in that country and how things can happen by accident, by, by design, both um, discontinuities, discontinuities can turn into huge opportunities and life-changing events. It is really quite extraordinary because there are people who suffer all over the world. I mean, just two months ago, I was interviewing Professor R. Mashelka. He is, uh, much like yourself, a stalwart in the industry from India. And he's got 44 honorary doctorates. Not a lot of people know about this guy. Wow, and, you know, five president awards. He's in, in the RSA as a scientist, the only second Indian who signed the same book as Newson and so on. And um, not interested in popularity or anything like that. He's written loads of books. I spotted him. We had a most incredible conversation. Down to earth guy like yourself. So humble, uh, so open to listening, still listening, still learning still learning which is what i'm learning from you and, and others but he um he had a lot of suffering his uh, they had no money he was studying under streetlights and education became his friend he got a scholarship and i know that you believe in that massively as well but i, I have to tell you and please tell us a little bit more about this so the country uh, that you're in the ecosystem that you're in has given you the opportunities to forget yesterday and to focus on the now, maybe maybe also focus on the future a lot, and maybe allowed you to um, navigate some of the minefields and get to where you've got to. Tell us more about what what does that mean? I mean, not, not just the greatness of America. This is not what that's about, but the people around you, their mindset, the way they think, their way, the fact that they gave you opportunities, and you weren't from the elite background, 
actually. So talk us through that in the context of your book. What, what does that mean for you? Um, I'd, I'd love well, to understand it, What that. I discovered, and, and, I, and I basically practiced it, is that I was never a victim. And that's my, one of my messages to young people. Never be a victim. Use energy of being a victim to figure out what's next. Because what's next is not easy either. But if you stress that, I mean, I mean, I've had both experiences where it's been my fault and I had to go on, but I wasn't a victim. And I've been other places where I was not at fault. In Lehman Brothers, I had seven perfect years. I mean, I turned around two divisions. I raised $8 billion in, in, in two and a half years. And they still threw me out. And I could have fought them. But instead of being a victim, I used the energy to find what's next. I found my perfect job. And it lasted another 20 years, which was great. So, but, it, but there's two things that you know, benefited me. First of all, I was born in America. And it, it, there is the land of opportunity. There was no two ways about it. But also born at the right time. Remember, I was a very small cohort of male births in 1936. You know, in 29, 30, people thought the world was going to still be okay. They still had children. By 36, you know, you were heavily into the depression and so forth. And people just didn't have, so I was a very small cohort of male births. That was really, and, and also behind me was this huge, you know, uh, what you call it, generation that came in. So almost anything I bought went up because you had this package of people coming in after me and, and also in, in management because I was such a small cohort. When I went through the process, there weren't many of me, you know, and being an engineer and there weren't many engineers in those days. And with a business degree, I turned out to be a very unusual type of human being. And I was I was in demand. And in the financial business, nobody realizes people think today of J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. When I went into the financial business, they were hiring Two people per year. Wow. Two people. Capital research, my first job had 350 billion, million, million dollars under assets. Today they have two trillion. So this was a baby industry. So first of all, right time, you know, right country, and then right industry. So that was it, you know, and there and in America, there's always the right industry. There's always something that's gonna happen. Today, the financial industry is not in that situation. They're all behemoth companies. You know, if you went into the automobile industry in 1920, you had little tiny companies and you had great opportunity. I had to pick the right one. You know, in my business, my company in, in, in brokerage business, 75% of the companies my size went out of business in the 20 years that I ran, ran the company. So those are the kinds of things that go on. I think there's opportunity, you know, and we have created opportunity all over the world. I mean, I think China and India owe us a vote of thanks because although demand with, for their products put, I don't know, 30, 40 million people in the United States hurt, hurt them, hurt their jobs and so forth. We raised a billion people out of poverty. So that's yeah. some of the thought process, some of the thinking that I've come to conclusion that as far as my life's concerned and the 40 past years, X 9-11, and 9-11 affected me because I was in New York. But X-9-11, it has been a golden age. I mean, if I was a historian, and I have friends, there are very few periods in history of 40 or 50 years where really things have been as good as they, they've been, right. especially with the decline in interest rates. I mean, you know, as you know, interest rates drive everything else. We've had a 40-year until 2020, from eight, 1980 to 2020, interest rates went down every year. So the cost of doing business overall went down. Now, the system is leveraged up right now because it's, Everybody's borrowed this cheap money. But during the period, that's when I came in the business. In other words, I grew my company from 1983 to 1997, 20 times. Oh, great job, Ed. Yeah, I did a good job. But the stock market during that period was up 10 times. So I had the wind in my back. Another one of my messages to young people is someplace in your life, if you read biographies and so forth, all of us successful people have the wind at their back for a significant period of time. And so your job is, is to find out how to get the wind at your back and then marry, marry that with your passion. If you can marry your passion with something that's going to go up a lot during your lifetime, have that wind at your back, then things aren't so tough. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think I love that. There are two, three important points there. I think one is, of course, the mindset around not being a victim. And, and I no, think, never be a victim if you can help it. And it's hard. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It, no. it, and you're right, you know, uh, there's there's only a finite amount of energy that you have. If you direct that towards sadness and depression and hatred, uh, and, hatred. And, I, and I, you know, it, it is, it will suck you, it will it'll drain you. Exactly. And uh, it's interesting, I want to ask you something, I don't know if you figured this out, uh, because I, I went through a personal journey, uh, and it's not about me today, but I want to ask you this. So, when bad things happen, 
you know, you had the orphanage, you're, you weren't sure about whether your mum was alive. That's, that's, how, that's traumatic in itself. But I, I would argue for a second and challenge me on this. You, it's sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes not knowing too much about a lot of things is actually better. Because I a think I find with denial, this... A certain amount of denial is actually positive. Denying when I went to college that I was in an orphanage was very helpful. If I had to go to explain to all my friends about my orphanage, about my foster home and so forth. And those days, you know, people from orphanages and poor backgrounds were not well accepted. The world has changed quite a bit. Notice I was one of the few poor kids that had to work all the time, the laundry and, and the but waiting tables and so forth. You know, if you had to explain those things, so denial, a little bit of denial at certain points, like putting it away. Now, psychologists will tell you that's the worst thing you do. No, for me, it was good. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to a certain age, at 60 or 70, I could take that out of the box and look at it. Mm -hmm. But for that period of time, when you're very fragile, 18 to 22 in college, certain things that you don't have to describe are actually exactly what you said. A little mm -hmm. bit of denial doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's a great it's a great point. It's not talked about enough, by the way, because of everything that's going on in society today. It's all about, oh, express yourself, bring it yeah, out. Well, yeah, exactly. Let it all hang out. You know? And yeah. it's not so easy because letting it all hang out when you're 18 years old and you don't understand everything is yeah. much more difficult than later on when you've seen a lot of different people, you've read a lot of books, you've, then you sort of handle it. But but 18, you have other things to deal with, you know, and you might as well deal with those things and leave this background, my background in particular, and by the way, everybody's got a story. My background's very complicated because I know my mother supposedly died when I was three. You know, I was in five foster homes, one of which was abusive and so forth. You know, my father was very complicated. I mean, he was he was right out of Leon Uris's book. The, 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 <laughs> he was Abraham from, from the, the Hodge, you know, and he brought up that way. And, you know, he had this influence on me. In fact, that's one of the unique things about my life. I couldn't I couldn't figure out who I was because... I couldn't be all my father because I was different. When I found my mother, I found that's the other half of my life. Now, I found out why I did certain kinds of things. And that's another thing that, that I learned that you can learn later on. I don't think young people can understand the interface between their genes and what's happened to them until later on in life. And the interface between your genes and your, and, and your, and your experiences of the first 18 or 20 years is it's what makes you makes you it, it controls your decisions it teaches you how you act, react to certain kinds of things that's very complicated so i think i think you should work on it we all work on it early on i, I call what i call the four parts of life self being the first one you've got to work on self but you really don't understand understand self until later on in life when you see certain kinds of examples certain right. kinds of trends and so and you understand a little more about yourself and you interface that's why so young people put them out there on their own when they're out there on their own you know uh, things like Outward Bound or, or Knowles, you know, National Outdoor Leadership School or, or a job in Kentucky, you know, you know, mm. they learn a lot about themselves, which is really the primary job for the first, you know, 18 or 25 years. Mm. And it's interesting. And when it comes to that uh, sort of diamonds or that sort of, you know, circle of um, what you talk about, the self, <clears throat> the family, the work or business and then community, which community is the word for giving back. Yes. Yeah, which is all about, yeah, so giving back and, and supporting others, which is altruistic, which actually is like, I almost see that as the energy source, which if you do that enough, it fuels that entire circle and again and again. You might be better at home life, you might be better to yourself, you actually might get some self-esteem, you might actually be kinder to yourself, because we're very, we're very critical of ourselves, many of us. Again, it's generational. So... Uh, tell me a bit about, I want to touch on this point. I want to, I know you've got grandkids as well. So yeah. I'm going down a different pathway. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go, it's wild. So it's not just the format of the book. So let's talk a little bit about um, timing. And it's very important. So timing your generation, your cohorts, you figure that out, that you were, your sample was this, probably not that. Right. And you had, um, you know, uh, tailwind behind you. Uh, you had a tailwind from the point of view of the economic cycle you were in, which you connected the dots on later, not at that time. You were just doing what you were doing. No, you're, doing, doing like, you're doing right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And you were taking action. So th these young people today, the Gen Z, I'm talking about the Generation Z, the younger people yeah. who are going through. You know, I have a lot of respect for them. I've hired many of them. They work in my team. I've coached them. I've learned loads from them. Actually, they're super sharp. They're like they're like running on the blockchain. and I'm still running on Windows with the greatest okay. respect to Microsoft. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> how you feel. 
<laughs> yeah. So um, a few questions here. Firstly, when you talk about that, the self, you talk about um, family, uh, you know, business, community. These, these, this generation looks at each of those things very differently, Ed, right? Exactly. So um, when, let's start with the self. And I, want, I just want your opinion. And they're listening. They're going to listen to this. So you said the self is serious stuff. You know, you don't just wake up one morning at the age of 18 and say, right, it's time for the self. I'm going to watch all the YouTube videos, get on the Headspace app. I'm going to meditate. And right, I'm really, I'm about myself because it bothers me. It bothers me because the life experience that the 18 year old has is so limited and we shelter them these days, right? Of course, we don't allow them to push. I push trolleys in the supermarket to make my money pre-university. That's just not going to happen right now. So... Tell us about how you would guide the young person on the timing of the self. Should they park it, not worry about the noise outside, which is all about these apps that help you with, you know, depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I'm, they are real. They're happening for a variety of different reasons. We'll come to that in a second. Tell, tell us about the timing of the self. When should it happen, in your opinion, for, the, for this generation? With what it, you know. It starts somewhere in the early teens. You know, in your very early age, you're just out there you know, testing everything. But that's why my, my second book and the epilogue in our book, which you'll get to when you finish it, it has the four P's. Find your passions, find your principles, find your partners, and find your plans. I want the young people to start to talk to themselves and recognize the self. It, it's maybe other things, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a combination of genes. It's, it's mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, a little bit of Uncle Harry, Aunt Matilda. It's all thrown in there mixed up. But the genes are only one part of it. Then it's your experiences. And your experience considered is also, are you, a, are you an only child? Or are you number six mm -hmm. out of 14? You know, it's a big difference. Are you living in a, fat, in, a, in, a in a very affluent neighborhood? Or, or you have to work every day? All these things. And those genes interplay with, 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 your, with your experiences. And that makes you, and then you see a result from that, a reaction. You either get mad or you, or you do something well or you do something poorly. And you understand and you keep, but I want people to start writing down their passions because passions change. I want them to start to collect their principles. I want them to recognize they need partners and partners for different things. And then I also want people to plan. I mean, I believe that I was at a university the other day and made a talk and the young fellow said, Ed, Mr. HM, you give them as too many ideas. Give me one idea that I can use right now as a senior in college. I said, sit down and write down where you want to go and how you think you might get there. And while you're thinking about that, think about the trends, the cycles, the waves that might occur in your life. Put those together. And now this is what I'm talking about. And I believe the self becomes the most important thing for the first almost 25 years to really understand who you are. And it's, you know, you collect it. It's not a one day thing. It's just what you said. You start to collect. And by the way, your passions start to change during that period. You got to adjust to that. Like I kid about this, but in high school, it was baseball and basketball, you know, math and science and girls. And when I got to college, it shifted. The math and science went into engineering. The, the, the baseball and basketball after the freshman year, I gave that up. and became intramural, intramural activities. And the intramurals actually became my passion. Even more, engineering was very difficult. But I, in my junior year, I created a humor magazine from scratch. I was taking physical and organic chemistry. And I said, the school needs humor. This, this is a place where fun comes to die. And I said, I'm going to have a humor yeah. magazine. The, the president was against it, the provost was against it, the librarian was against it, everybody's against it. I had to put 30 people together. We created this magazine like the Harvard Lampoon. And mm. by the way, I found my passion. I didn't know it at the time, but I mm. love putting people together to solve problems, to create a product, to start a program. That's what really got me excited. And inside that, my real passion was to find people, help people do better than they thought they could. Help mm -hmm. people exceed their own expectations. And that carried me all through my business life. I woke up somewhere in my 40s and realized that was my talent and that was my passion. So that's the sort of thing that I want you to work on self. Because, by the way, and I had other negative self things that I reckon. I recognized my anger early on. I recognized that my anger came from, from, from 18 years in orphanages and hotel rooms and so forth saying, why me? You look aside, the other guy's got a mom and dad and a house, a dog. No work. He learned to ride a bicycle, which I never did. He learned to swim. I didn't have a pool. You know, why me? So I was angry. Then I found at some point in time, I grabbed that anger and said, instead of directing it toward outside, I directed it inside. And it actually drove me. It was a positive. I turned a negative into a positive. But you had to recognize that it was there. 
because you didn't recognize the anger was there, you couldn't use it. And there was some other negative experience in my life. I, I had some difficulty with certain kinds of people. And I had, to, I had to deal with that. But self is the first job. It, but self, family, work, and community are the four balls of life. And you're always juggling. One of, the, one of my chapters in my third book is The Balance is Bull. It's bullshit. But it's bull because in many respects, you're always out of balance. Because to be successful in any one of these four areas, you've got to focus. Once you focus on this one, this one is taking less time and less interest. Most They said to me, what can you advise a businessman? I said, basically recognize this balance because most businessmen spend too much time on work and business. They end up getting, losing their family and they're all done because families is all, when it's all said and done, that's what's left is family. And if you dis do away with that somewhere along the line, because you're successful in your business, you've lost the whole ball game. Yeah, in other words, yeah. And it's very important. And it's simple to do. <laughs> you, you go to, you, go, you work hard for three or six months and you take your wife on a vacation. You, is it you go, and I, I recommend certain kinds of vacations for example I was a very busy guy so we started going on the only vacation where your kids can't get away and that's on a boat take a small boat in the Caribbean and at night guess what mm. they can't get away it's not like a ski vacation or hotel vacation and they got to talk <laughs> a few beers when they're when they're in their teenagers mm. or early 20s and they really get a conversation I had my kids read a book when they came down every year and every other year we would do that. And every year of the year, we would go to some crazy place where, again, they couldn't get away, like Africa or the southern tip of Chile and so on. And some of these vacations are not, not that expensive. We started going on the boat. We would a little tiny trimaran down and I think it was $8,000 a week, you know, and that was in meals and everything. So there are things you can do to bring your family back together again. And then you got to go back to work again. And the same thing when I, I, I went and became the chairman of the board of trustees of the University of Rochester, I closed my hedge fund. And I gave up significant amounts of profit along the way. But if I was going to do a good job with 30,000 people, I was mm. going to have to spend focus on that. You know? And as my wife said, for better or for worse, but not for Rochester. So she wouldn't move to Rochester. So I made 70 trips in eight years. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it's brilliant because I, I think that's a great lesson, again, for the young people, because you've combined a lot of, a lot of wisdom and learnings there. I, I also picked up another point, which was knowing what, when to say no. Right. Uh, it's really hard. I mean, let's be honest, it's really hard. And with capitalism, you know, um, capitalism is exciting because it gives you prosperity, wealth, especially. And there's that dream and there's the material aspects of it. And now we're reconsidering whether we've overdosed on it and abundance overabundance is actually good for us or not. And, you know, we're having that debate around conscious capitalism. That's good. That's the evolution of society. But I think you also figured out through life, through all these years that you've been through, where you're talking about flexing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do. And I think we should tell the world this as well. It seems like you did this where you accept, you know, you're only human. So you accepted, well, shit, you know, I've worked, I've been working like a maniac, right? Because I'm busy right. in these big jobs and you have to. And that's what the jobs do. They pay you a lot of money that you've got responsibilities. So right. sometimes I think this balance issue, I think this balance issue is about phases. Um, exactly. I've got to, you know, I've got my final point, and I'd love you to add color. I've got two little kids. I had kids a little bit later, right? So I've been traveling the world, you know, doing other things, building companies and spending time with my partner, my wife, who is my pillar of support. And I love that piece. I'll come back to it in a second. It's so crucial. But I've got a three and a half year old and a 16 month old. My, my mates, my buddies have had their kids 15 years ago, right? So I'm the, I'm the geriatric dad. But with the wisdom that I have, and I've been through so much as well, I don't sweat the small stuff. And this phase of my life, and I always look at my kids and I say to my wife and she says to me, oh, she's just going through a phase. It's just a phase. Let's not sweat it. Things will change. And I said to myself, well, as adults, why don't we say that to ourselves, though? Why don't we just say, I'm just going through a phase, right? Because we, we are so, we're so prescriptive about, well, I should be doing it this way. Well, surely I should have a plan and I'll be successful. Yes. Oh my God, you know, why am I not? And you beat yourself up. So tell me, tell me about how you manage phases. I mean, you, I'm sure you beat yourself up sometimes. But you only yeah. have... Oh, I do, yeah, regularly, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but now but, today, now well, today... I believe in stopping. I, I recommend people once a year at least stop. I, that's why I love the boat trip. I get off the boat and I walk. But every three years, you should sit down with your piece of paper, as I call it. And go through each one of these things and see whether or not you're you're totally out of balance, or you're you're really not doing what you're really passionate about, or you haven't really kept up to your principles, or you don't have the right partners. You know, mm -hmm. and this partner stuff is 
you know, find a partner, find someone to love. That's one of the requirements somewhere between 25 and 35. It's, you know, that's the phase in my mind. I, I got married at 29. I don't recommend getting married too early. And I, and then when you get married too late, you're like my daughter. She's 52 years old. She's got three kids in her house. And she, mm-hmm. you know, my, my wife used to sling the kids over her shoulder when she, she, you know, when she was 22, 23 years old, not a problem today. It's a little different. And so, but yeah. recognizing that it is different, then you come, you, you slowly absorb how to do that. It's what you're going to have to absorb, you know, coming home and finding an, you know, a teenager when you're in your fifties, you know, it's not so easy. It's hard to, to, mm-hmm. to, to meet, meet, meet. And as soon as I said, I always tell people, make sure you marry young enough so you can ski with your children. <laughs> but no, but that, 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 no, that, those are the little things that, you know, that, that's important. And so I, I, I find that, that this is one of the things that I try to put in front of people is recognize there are phases of life. You know, the, the phases of a man written by Levinson is one of my favorite books. It's true. But inside those phases, you may recognize that in order to be successful in any one anything, you got to focus. And if you focus, you get out of balance with some other things. You, sometimes you even get out of balance with yourself. People lose their self because they work too hard. Or you get into it, you get into it, you actually giving back situation. You get great satisfaction out of the University of Rochester. I could get lost there and not pay attention enough mm. to attention to my wife. You know, and after 20 or 30 years that we see, she says, Well, you're a stranger. Goodbye. You know, that didn't happen. I'm married for 50, sure, coming up on 57 years. <laughs> well, well, yeah, actually. I was I kid about that because it, it is, uh, you know, I love her more than yesterday and less than tomorrow. Uh, on the other hand, occasionally we skip a couple of days, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I but think never, you know, never, been... never, 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 I mean, I have, if you have to apologize, you take blame, but never go to bed mad. Never. And Barbara and I, 57 years, we've never gone to bed mad. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those tricks that you have. And it's like my, my, my boat vacation. These are these are really structural things that you put it put in place as you work through the world. You know, take each child on a trip alone. At least once, I've done it two or three times with each child, and it's you have kid, you have your children. I have three children. You have them alone; they're totally different. They're totally different, and they tell they they talk different, they act different, and it's a very important thing. And also, they look back on those trips as being great trips. I mean, I asked my daughter where she wanted to go. She wanted to go to, to Israel and Jordan. I took her to Israel and Jordan. We were in Petra and things like that. My son and I have been all over Colorado, you know, and so it's this it's this kind of thing that really is. Very positive. These are little, and by the way, you, the life goes by very quickly, as you know. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, look back and it's, you know, they're gone. And uh, and it happens faster than you think. So take the time off. And you never need another day at the office. You really don't. And if you do, fine, for a period of time, then stop. Mm-hmm. Too long an answer to a good question. No, no. I mean, there's so much, there's so much uh, wisdom in that. And I want to touch on an important point, which is partners. And um, I guess you, I know you divide it in, into different categories, and I, I believe in that a lot. So there's the partner, which is the, the person at home or the person you love or the careful life care for you. Yeah. Like Barbara, for you, for me, it's my wife, Minnell. And the partners, as in people you hang out with, that's like my dad used to say when he was alive, when I was very young, and I thought he was a fool at that point. And then when I grew up, I realized... He's pretty, pretty wise guy. And he said, hey, stop hanging. You shouldn't be hanging around with those kids. And I was like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about really there. And so it, it, it's actually even more important today, now, oh, no. who I hang no. around with. In, in my lifetime, you know, in my lifetime, early on, there were lone rangers. There were people who yeah. could almost do it by themselves. The system was simpler enough that you could do it. You didn't have IT. Well, you know, I graduated college. And we had in my one of my final exams, we used a side rule 2,700 times. I was in the Navy for three years. When I came out, there's this thing called computer, which changed the whole ballgame. So when I was a youngster, there were some, there were some, you know, some lone rangers. Today, collaboration is unquestionable. You have to have collaboration. And I use I divide my partners up into a number of different categories. I find when I'm ever going to do something, I find partners who can do things that I can't do or just can't do it. And, and, and but it has to be done. So you get that partner. Then I find a partner who can do things better than I can do, which is good. Then one of the most important partners is to find a partner who does things that I do well that I don't want to do. So if you get these three kinds of partners, you end up doing things that you do well that you want to do. And that's Nirvana. You can find that in one person, as I did in a fellow named Steve Bletcher, who did all that stuff in business that I didn't want to do. 
and he did, you know, he was everything. He was, he did things I couldn't do that I didn't want to do, you know, that I couldn't do very well. He did them all. Or sometimes you need three or four partners, but you had to pick partners out. And of course, I, I still believe the most important partner is the person that, who, who basically you can love and who will support you and you can support. And supporting someone is almost as gratifying as being supported. You know, when your wife is not mm-hmm. feeling well or if she has a baby and so forth, you support her terrific personal satisfaction of helping, really helping another human being, you know, right there face to face. But that, that's the most important part. But also you go down the line. I, think. I, I have different partners for different types of organizations. The partner for business is totally different than the partner for nonprofit. The, the partner of business gets things done. The partner of a profit is, is a consensus builder, you know, all very different mentality. When I went to the University of Rochester, I couldn't use a lot of the partners or talents that I had in business, you know. And finally, you know, the, the most one of the other important partners, I always tell college graduates is find yourself a friend, someone like your wife, but just has no, you know, legal relationship. Mm. I had this guy in college that we were both engineers. We were both naval officers both in the Far East. He and I worked together the same company. And he was a guy who worried more about me than I worried about myself. God bless him. He died 10 years ago. But, but you know, I would call him up and he was he had a year of basically knew he was going to die. We talked like Tuesday mornings. I would call him up. First question out of his mouth, how are you? How are the kids? Are you working too hard? Not about him, you know, not about his problem. So mm-hmm. find a friend. And then, of course, I also think as far as partners, find organizations. YPO has been a fabulous organization for me. Right. You know, I have a group that I've been with for 40 years. You know, almost you can tell them anything to start off with, and they know you by now. I have two or three investment groups, with two of which I founded, which are over 50 years old. And I walk in there with an idea, immediately say, that's a good one, Ed, or Ed, that's one of your bad ones. So mm. these, are, these are partners. And, you know, you start early getting those partners, like this friend. I mean, finding some, I always say, look to the left, look to the right, pick out someone that you want to spend at least most of your life with. Now, this will fade. People change. You may have to find another partner. But, you know, finding a friend is also quite good. And But you start off with that, that most important partner. I mean, she or he mm. or whatever it is, you know, you've got to have that, that sort of life partner who basically can tell you to stand up straight, that your shirt's hanging out the back, you talk too much, or whatever it is, someone who can be, really be, be your partner. But partners are, mm. are vital today, especially in business. I mean, collaboration, the... <laughs> The IT part of business, you know, the legal part of business is just so yeah. complicated. Knowing, and by the way, if you do, don't have those partners, and I prove with my little company, I failed, you start to do too many things at the same time, you will fail. Not because you're not mm. smart enough or you don't work hard enough, is that the talents to do one thing are deleterious mm. to the talents to do another thing. Ma- marketing a mutual fund is deleterious to manage the money in the fund because you develop different capabilities, different talents, and different satisfactions. If you start doing this well, you will find that this doesn't work so well, by definition. And that, I use the idea, I use the same thing as doctors who, you don't go to a, a guy who says, well, I've done feet this week, and I'm going to do a heart tomorrow, and a, and a, and a shoulder next week. You don't know, <laughs> you know, go to that guy. You know, you, you run away from yeah. someone like that. You know, you know or, or anybody that tries it, or a baseball player. There's very few people who play more than one sport. Those are yeah. simple. But in business, we think we can, we can go, I'll sell a fund and I'll come back and I'll manage it. And then, I'll, then I'll deal with Mary, Mary Sue, who's just gotten divorced. No, no. All those are three very different jobs. When I was the chairman yeah. and CEO of Furman Sells, I was a people person. I didn't manage yeah. any money. I did a few, a little bit of client work. They, you know, like a chicken, chicken bowl. And they, they put me into the soup and took me out, you know, come to dinner and talk to so-and-so, you know. Well, I didn't go to dinner very much. There was the balance that I had. I left the office uh-huh. at six o'clock. I was home for dinner almost every night. I didn't spend any complete weekend except when I went to Tokyo out of the, out of, out of the house. I was there. And that was a rule that I made because I was scared to death that that was going to happen to me because I saw so many of my friends, you know, end up in their 50s, you know, with the, the kids that just don't not interested in their family. And the wife wanders off, you know, for one reason or another. And that, you know, what's it all about? You know, that's what's left. Yeah. And uh, Barbara yeah. and I still have a, you know, a very good relationship. You know, she didn't make lunch today, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. It's your turn to make lunch. Um, so another element, which um, going back to the Gen Z again, because I'm, th- I'm trying to pull out, you know, the learning from your book uh, and make them pragmatic and digestible and moldable. 
for for the next few generations i think that's the that's sort of a great legacy to leave behind as well as well as why you you wrote your book and i'm thinking about it from a different way but this generation doesn't have the relationship with partners as in the wife or the girlfriend the same way you do or i do and that it, it 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 cut off at some point and a disruption happens now you have tinder and you have all of these apps and you have very superficial relationships running like it's a sales funnel you know like a prospecting funnel it's like churning at a ridiculous rate and with social media what is more attractive is you know how you look and their role models who've become billionaires based on how they look it's a very different world it's a very very different world that i still cannot understand and i'm i'm relatively young although i i'm called old by the, this generation <laughs> what, what are we supposed to do about this because i accept what you're saying i get it i get it but again the architecture for these guys today is not what you're describing it's it's a very different it's like the and, and by the way it's very hard for us because remember you know you are something combined your genes and your background the background that these kids yeah. have is totally different i mean my my parents went through the war and the depression i was born in the depression i went through a little bit of the war as a child and you know and the 50s and 60s and 70s weren't great 70s were not a good period so i had some pretty yeah. they, they they have lived in a golden age so their experiences are totally different than ours. They don't have any fears, you know. There's a, a wholly different experience. They also don't have, they don't have Mark Woods' needs. We had, we basically were looking for food and shelter. They're looking for self-actualization. And it's very difficult at a young age to do that. What I, sell, what I tell young people is that the great satisfaction in life is to take advantage of the things that are going to happen during their period of history. And basically, there are more opportunities today than ever before. There are also more problems. And so therefore, no matter what you want to do, you really have an exciting life. And But I, I social media is something that I'm going to have trouble. I have trouble. I never, I decided not to be on Facebook. I finally, because of my book, I'm on LinkedIn. But I decided to do away with social media only because it was another avenue, which I would have to spend time on and energy. So I, I excluded it. Yeah. And so I really don't understand it that well. I do understand what you're saying. One of the problems is it's very superficial. It's a lot about looks, how things look. And it also depicts life. Everybody puts their good stuff on social media. It, life is full of absolute bumps. Nobody gets away with it. You know, there's always some kind of a problem going on, no matter what it is. Very few people go through life very easily. And everybody's got a story. I mean, and so forth. That social media, social media originally was a communications device. It's done, in, it's changing. By the way, we've always had these kinds of, phases and it, it doesn't do any good for the generation by the way but i try to convince these kids the most fun in life is a couple things one is to find something you can really make a contribution cure alzheimer's and also to give back i mean there is nothing like my scholarship program when a young lady who's five feet high who's an optical engineering major just got her phd just got married she's a concert penis and a concert violinist she dances in the irish dance group and she stood up you know as she got her phd she said I would never have been able to do this without, without you, Mr. Hagen. That's satisfaction. Or a friend of mine who just came back, he's a micro lender in, in, in the South Pacific. He spent two weeks out there, you know, giving loans to people on little tiny islands. I mean, those are the kinds of things I want young people to think about. Now, the young people today have some things we don't, we don't have, which are really positive. They're more, they don't need as many material things as we need. We didn't have them, so we want them. And they now can direct their energy toward doing good. And there's a lot of good requirements for doing good today. So like this friend of mine took his daughter out to Micronesia. They spent, you know, two weeks out there going from island to island, checking on a, a, a micro loan project, which he put some money into. So there's, really, there's a lot of exciting stuff. And to try to get them off, you know, away, a little bit away from their phones, a little bit away from social media and into projects that will get them <clears> satisfied. Once they get one of these projects under their belt in college or some other way, the summer, I, I say, don't waste the summer. I always say to kids, Find something crazy to do. Go to go to Tokyo and work in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a Nintendo shop, or go to New Zealand and change you know ten sheep. Have have three or four of those kinds of experiences. In fact, I pitch I pitch graduate school under two reasons. One gives you a chance to look at everything one more time, but also gives you three more summers. Yeah. And I use my own yeah. example. Yeah. I was convinced to be an international businessman, so I went to Belgium and I worked for a Belgian chemical company. And I learned to speak French, or français très bien. But it wasn't for me. I realized I was much too early. All those businesses were family businesses. You know, they wouldn't do things that I wanted to do. 
And also language was very important. And, and I could never get Flemish down. It was too difficult. Even French was too difficult. So I figured, and I was right. I was 20 years too up. So I decided I'd go down to Central America the second summer. I was immersed in Spanish. I think I flew in Spanish. I went down to Central America, figured I'd be super gringo. You know, I would take over these guys that I'd educated. It turns out not so. You know, it was a very different business. You had to be married to the, to the Secretary of Commerce and he had to take care of you and so on. And it was, the mid markets were very small and very difficult. We created a business school in Nicaragua, you know, and I, my Spanish was wonderful, but I found that wasn't for me. So I tried this out. And I, all my life, if you look at my book, I tried out Latin when I was a freshman in high school. I tried out advanced physics when I was a sophomore in college and flunked, almost flunked. But try out, push the, push the limits. And by the way, early failure is a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I carried this physicist concept through my whole College career had been a mistake, but I failed in my junior year and jumped back in engineering. And I actually, turns out engineering wasn't exactly what I wanted to spend my rest of my life in. But constantly test yourself. And that's and again, when young people start to test themselves, then they'll find, again, satisfaction. But it's a hard question because I'm not sure I can answer it. You might be able to answer it. But my background is so different and my reaction to certain things are so different. I mean, I'm still a troglodyte. I still, I mean, I don't wear a tie anymore, but I still get dressed for certain things. And I, you know, I think differently than, than young people. And I, and I agree with them. I, they're right. We're wrong because this is their era. And but I do want to give them have, I want them to have fun in testing themselves and in doing something. And then, by the way, a lot of them want to do good. My wife, my daughter was a hedge fund manager and she woke up in the middle of her career and said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so she hired a career counselor. Now she's the gatekeeper for TED Talks and she's dealing with the most wow. interesting people She's like you are. She's dealing with, well, not, yeah. not me, but she's dealing with some interesting people in the world. And she's the hardest job in the world, but she loves it. And, and you know, she's doing a, a super job. And she's now found her passion, which is great. But, but you know, she's, she's not earning a great living because she's working for a nonprofit. But so what? You know, and that's what kids can do today. They can take on things because they really aren't that materially oriented. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I cheer them on. You know, why do you need a lot of jewelry, a lot of cars, a lot of boats? I mean, you know, you get satisfaction on your daily job and on your, your family. May not need all those things. Some people will. Yeah. Each person to his own. That's why I want to want to write stuff down. Because when some people start writing down what they want, is that do I really want that? So anyway, mm-hmm. long answer, you, short question. Sorry. Will you tell tell us about your if you don't mind. So you've got three kids. I just want to not too much about them because it's you know, um, how old are your children then? Well, my oldest is fifty six. Second is right. fifty. Two and the third one's fifty. Then- wow. Okay. And um, you, I want to ask you another question. So, you know, you you've had these amazing accolades and achievements and failures, right? And your partner's been by your side. You had your children and and, and so on. Was was your uh, the hats you wore? Right. So let me give you an example. So you're this big CEO chairman of this huge company. And of course, people are looking up to you. You're employing people and, you know, you're a hero for many people in many ways. And then the reality sometimes kicks in. Um, I, I can I, I say this because I've been there before. I'm also a musician, by the way. So oh, really? well, that's, that's... I, yeah, so I, I played the drums or the Indian drums is my specialism. I've been gigging for years and years and years. I've done hundreds of concerts and I'll give you an analogy of music, not business. So because uh, and it's similar so there's one there's one that one incarnational face i'm at a gig i'm thriving i'm buzzing i'm performing people are like hey, this is fantastic and i feel great i feel invincible i come off the stage and someone wants an autograph and someone's like wow you know you're so great I'm feeling great and then i get a phone call from my partner saying hey where are you i said well I just finished the gig great pick up some milk when you come back on the way back from walmart i'm like my whole second book is going to be what I call a conversation yourself. When that call from the milk comes in, you got to say, convert. You know, I'm a husband. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worker for the take out the garbage. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys again. If you convert that, yeah. you take the garbage out and come back and you can be a CEO next minute. Or you can talk to someone like you. You know, it's a, it's, it's, you a, switch. But it's a conversation with yourself and it's a series of mantras which you basically control, you know. And you have, but it's hard. It's very hard. But if you get in the habit of it, you, you say, well, now I'm, now I'm the guy with the milk, you know, now I'm the CEO, now I'm the drummer, you know, and you keep doing that. And I had different incarnations, you know, I remember what the reason I loved graduation is I converted. I put this costume on with the hat and the whole thing, five, 10,000 people out there. And I have to do a good job because I, I became that person. 
That, that, that person standing in front of those people saying, you know, let's care for the class of 2021, you know. And you see my picture with yeah. my arms up in the air, you know, and that was, you know, you were able to convert to that. And you find great actors tell you that too. They become the person. And you have to, you can't, yeah. you can't fool yourself, but you, but you have to do a little bit of that change. And you have to recognize that people's problems, your, 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 your performance or your problems are not any greater than anybody else's. And it, the children in particular, they go through situations which are, for them, are extremely difficult. And if you don't accept that, you know, it's, it's you know, you know good, good Susie didn't get picked for the, you know, at the right time and so by, by her friends is a crisis. It really is. And if you don't pay attention to that and agree and help out, you're dead meat. Or like my wife in many respects, and this is, a, you know, they don't want you to give them the answer. They want you to listen, period. And right. those are tricks. Right. And the things you learn. And that's one of the things in my book that I want to pass on. But people, you know, if you take a car trip with your wife, you know, in the first to second year of marriage, you learn a hell of a lot more than just coming home at night tired from business. Because the third night out there in a motel, she'll tell you things, you know, she'll tell you things that basically you're not doing right or that it's not right with the group and so forth. And you start working on those. But the millenniums, the, today's, today's people... I just hope our academics are doing the job they should do with these young people. I, I'm very worried that we're not spending enough time. And again, I'm a troglodyte, but American history on the patriotism. You know, you know, three years in the service changed my life. You know, I mean, it just changed my life. You read Hillbilly Elegy, it changed his life. You know, you're, you're thrown in with everybody's in the same bucket. They shave everybody's head the first year. You know, you know you're, you're, and you've got responsibility. Yeah? And I reported aboard ship uh, at age 22. The captain took me down out on the deck and said, this is Mr. Hajim. He's, he's your division officer. 180 men looked at me. 360 eyes, 18 to 55. I became a role model, whether I liked it or not, overnight. Really, that's, you know, those are the kinds of things that spring again. Get it. Or, you know, not being an officer, just being coming aboard and wearing a uniform, making sure your uniform, your shoes are signed, your your, your uniform's right and so forth and contribute to the to the country. And I'm not, you can not necessarily go into service, just some sort of service to the country. Norway, Norway does it, Egypt, uh, uh, Switzerland does it, Israel does it, you know, some kind of contribution. So, but see, I, that's why I don't, I don't, I don't want to communicate. I don't want to tell them what they're doing is wrong because I don't understand their situation as well as I should. I want to give them inspiration that to find something that's important to them and tell them that I almost guarantee that that would be a better deal for them to reach for that and get satisfaction. Also test themselves just out there early on, you know, be a little different than the crowd, you know, take a different job in the summertime. And you know, I, my, and my background, I, I've done that. I mean, I really did that. I, I got, I, my soft, my, my junior sophomore year, I think I hitchhiked up to the St. Lawrence Seaway and got a job, you know, working there all by myself, lived at the Fernie house at night, hiked back and forth between the, the attorney house and, and, the, and the project and so forth. Great experience. Uh, and, you know, and by the way, a lot of my stuff was luck because I had to do it. I mean, and when I were in high school, being a pin setter before there were, there were you know, pin setters, physically pin setting, most dangerous job in the world. It paid really well. It should. The pins are popping around all over the place. Or being a bag boy in a, in a, in a, in a grocery store. And when you're, one of your classmates gives you a 10 cent tip, I can still remember that pain. <laughs> So anyway, that it, but you, your question is almost unanswerable in today's world. It really is up to your generation, or maybe even a little younger. That next generation's got who can understand the syndrome in which these people, the apps, you know, the, the the Facebook, all that stuff that these people grew up with, you know, what effect it has had on them. That's again genes, and I'm talking about these experiences. That's their experiences. Our experiences are very different. My experience is totally different. And my father said, you know, we got nothing. You got to go work. You better work hard or else, you know. So it's a different whole story. You know, I, I never told my kids, well, you know, if we don't work hard, you're not going to have any food next morning. And, and then, you know, that's so it's a different it's a different impact. But it is that self merged with those experiences. Those experiences could include Facebook. They include, you know, social media. They include, you know, a calm world, relatively speaking. You're not going to go into service. But they have but a lot of kids live in violence. And that's a whole other different thing. We didn't have violence. You know, we didn't have violence. And that's another impact that they have to understand. You know, there's, there's different yeah. kinds of fears. Now we wandered off. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> no, you're right. A, a few points before we close off, because, I mean, it's what a conversation. I, I reckon I was, if I was in the States, 
I'll be coming over and um, uh, asking for some hospitality and sitting at your table and having a glass of wine or some whiskey to, to talk more. But I want to say one, one or two more things just about this generation. I think, it, I think there is an opportunity and I'm doing some work around this right now where what you've just said, let's call them principle. Let's call them, a, let's call it a formula, a framework, something. There's some stuff that you've said today, a lot of stuff you've said today, and you've used frameworks so people can understand. Right. right. I've, I've got these, these eight words, which I want people to, you know, fam, self, family, work, community, passions, principles, partners, and plans. I want to try to simplify it in the boxes that the Chinese do this with their medicine, medicine chest, you know, yeah. they put the, and so when you go back and you open the drawer, it's there and you can still, you can study it. If that's a framework yeah. inside principles, and I think that, there are principles sitting there. Yeah. And I, I think that framework will last through the ages. I don't think it's, it's so. just about your generation. However, I think we'll have to do a, a different job. We'll have to put our minds together, I guess me and many other people in my generation, to translate that, to build the context of each one of those um, categories so it's relatable to them. Because they're, And it's about stories, because our stories are different. And our stories will be interesting and inspirational, but it stops there. But relatability is what, that's where the, trans, the, the transformation needs to happen. Exactly. So I think, right you know, um, so I, I'm, I'm, my inspiration from your work is take your work now because it works and it's true. And there's such a fantastic storyboard here and try and relate it to this new generation so they can say, fine, I get that. So I get the self and I get the partners, but I, partners, I have no faith in any partners. No one wants to stay with me. I don't look good enough. And, and so on and so forth. So how do you still deal with that? Because our certainties, our pillars of support, aren't the pillars of support they have. They have other things going on. So maybe we've got to figure that out. And I may pick your brains on it at some point, because of course you have the different hats you're wearing. You are a grandfather, you know, and you're writing your next two books. So uh, listen, I can talk to you for, for days and hours and, and you're a busy man. <laughs> it's fun. And, it's and, fun. Yeah, and, and you're a busy man. Tell us about these two books that you're planning, if, if you're open to discussing them, because I, like I said oh, the, at the beginning. The, the epilogue in the first book is uh, uh, just a brief on the four Ps. I'm taking the second book, into a, a it's, it's a second book is going to be an expansion of the four piece in an allegory form. It's about a boy right. who goes to an island, meets an older man, and they travel to the village of passions to discuss passions. They climb up to the village of principles. They discuss principles, philosophy, psychology, religion. They climb down into the river. They go to the village of partners, the four kinds of partners. Then they go to the village of plans and they talked the whole time. And it basically is a, it's, 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 in many respects, it's not a conversation with two, two people. It's a conversation with yourself. And people do go through the same kinds of conversations. They go through the conversations on passion, principles, partners, and plans constantly. The third book is I'm going to try to extract from the first book in my life 30 or 40 lessons, six pages each. Like, like uh, early failure is a gift. Uh, you know, life is not, you know, balance is bullshit. You know, the thing, things like that, mm. that basically I want mm. six, six, six pages discussing each one of these things. Anything, one of my things is anything is possible. Education is a solution. These are hackneyed phrases, but if you could, when I'm talking about principles, all through my life, I've collected phrases, which I've used for different parts of my life. For example, in the financial business, I had a phrase, which I would repeat at least once a week, you know, to live happy is to live hidden. Because they call me to be on television, I would say no. They want me to write for me, no, no. Because I really want to concentrate on my business because I felt the publicity in the financial business was the next step before jail and also required an enormous financial. Now, I'm in the opposite case right now. I'm obviously out trying to get publicity to sell my book. So now I've changed that mantra. And I had a whole bunch of mantras that I had on my board. Like, you know, one of the things that, that really was, I caught early on, it was really important one was, you know, you can create anything if you don't care who gets the credit. And then when you take that and it sounds simple and you do it, then you take it to the next step. You start deflecting credit. We have this interview mm -hmm. and somebody calls me and says, Ed, you did a great job. I said, no, 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 Alf, he was the one. And mm -hmm. you just can't believe how that changes the whole conversation. If you find someone else, when you get the credit that you can give it to, it changes the whole structure. And that's yeah. very important. So those are the kinds of things that, that I want to you know, pass on to kids and, you know, I, I, I've started deflecting credit in my midlife and it's been just absolutely fun, no matter what, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it makes a real difference in my life too. 
And it also, there's never anything that you do you do alone. Nothing you deserve 100% credit for. You know, I built a golf course, but, you know, I would have probably never built it except I came home and said, Barbara, sell the house. We're out of here. She said, build a golf course. I said, what? She said, you build one in Vail, build one here. And now, and again, I'm sending my, I, we wrote a book on the golf course, 25 years. And it really is a story because we converted the golf course into an institution. We're the largest charity on the island. We sent 25 kids to college. And now we've, we're now my new mini crusade is vocational education. And by the way, there's a whole group of millennials that are different. These 25-year-olds that want to go to a vocational college, they're not people you're talking about. We, had, we gave 10 scholarships this year, two nurses. Those nurses stood up and said, I want to be a nurse. My grandmother's a nurse. My mother's a nurse. I want to be a nurse. Another guy said, I want to be a marine engineer. I'm going to the Coast Guard Academy. No one said, I want to be a chef. In fact, can I work at the club this summer? And we gave him, a, you know, by the way, Johnson Wells is $40,000 a year. This kid's going to be, he's going to Johnson Wells, you know, or, or, or a culinary institute. So there's a whole bunch of people that are different. Again, you can't put these people all in one place. These people that have found their passion early and want to become, you know, and I want to change the word vocation to something else. I've tried it technical or mm. professional or, I don't know, mm. commercial, but uh, the vocational word is a terrible word. It sounds like it's less than academic. But these kids, you're, I mean, I wrote an article called it's easier to get an appointment with your doctor than your electrician. And, you know, it's yeah. just, but, but so, you know, but, 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 but they created an institution on an island like this. And my Barbara was the one who told me to do it. I did it. And, I, and it turns out to be one of the greatest satisfactions I've ever had in my life. And it occurred when my, you know, my 70s, it was in the, you know, 60s and 70s. So that's what I want to communicate to people. It's never too late. And this is why the book is better for, as for, for, for the second, third generation. But the kids, my focus is this 18 to 25-year-old. I want them, and, and they're, they're different parts of them. You know, this vocational group, they're going to do just fine in America. If they find their passion, they get trained for it. There's a woman down, we created a community college in Florida called the Upper Keys Community College, creating 60 nurses. But the woman I'm, I'm taken by was a woman who wanted to be a public safety officer. She says, you know, I've always wanted to do that. And she was attractive, intelligent, hardworking. And she has two kids, divorced. And she just, she just tore everybody's heart right out. So you, you, you've changed my life. You built something where I could totally be, a, you know, a police person. She that's what she wanted to do. And she was excited about it. So that was great. So that's, a, you know, the, and these are the kinds of things that people can do. I mean, and, and there's so many things that, that are available to them. There's so many, so many opportunities today and they can get off the, you know, get a little control to themselves and find one of these opportunities. They'll be fine. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I mean, I, when the books come out, we'll have you back on the show if you're okay with it. Next March, the book, 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 book publishing is one of the worst experiences I've ever had. It's impossibly difficult, totally unprofitable. The only thing that's fun is talking. <laughs> <to people. laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to pick your brains. Uh, it's still recording. That's okay. But I'm going to pick your brains because I'm writing my book from September onwards. And I, I'm so privileged because there's so many people I've interviewed are all excellent authors and best-selling authors. So instead of trying to learn myself, I'll go to all these people and figure out what, what, what they failed at and what they were good at. So I may be knocking on your door. And uh, Ed, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for the time, the energy, uh, the wisdom. And, uh, you know, it feels like you've got a whole new lease of life. I mean, I, I didn't know you before your book, right? And <laughs> I don't know what you were like. And obviously, you, you have, you've had your own journey. But it, it does feel like the, um, my, my gut instinct tells me that there's this new lease of life, like this new energy that you found. I'm sure you've got that with other projects, but the, the book is, in a way, it's like it's allowed you to unpack and connect all of these dots that were buried here. And you've, every, every time you have a conversation, I find that sometimes when people ask me things, I'm learning more about myself. I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. Wow. And it's down. And another mantra forms. And it feels like that with you today. And I'm privileged to uh, hang around with you and uh, learn from you. So thank you. Thank you from my end. And uh, is there anything you want to say before you close off? Uh, definitely tell us where we can find you. Uh, where, where do we find the book? Uh, the normal stuff. Is it on Amazon and et cetera, et cetera? Well, Amazon, Simon and Schuster, a lot of books. So, Amazon covers it. Obviously, that's the simplest way. Simon and Schuster, yeah. if you do read the book and you like it, well, if you don't like it, don't say anything. But if you like it, give me a, a quick review and a rating. My publisher will be very happy for that. I have a website. Because the Hajim name was made up by the customs, I'm only Hajim in the world besides my kids. And that's Ed Hajim, 
Com. The my publicist has done a, a very robust, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, very robust uh, website and so forth. You can get all kinds of information there. Probably don't have to read the book if you go to the website. My book is also on Audible. The the guy who did that is a ve- Bob Shapiro super guy. He's done fifty books. Very very listenable. He, he and his father and his father and myself are, have a whole, a whole number of things in common. So it was really a, it was a love fest. So. That's the, my only comment is very simple. I mean, I always end most of my conversations with, you know, may the force be with you because you need the force. You need luck. I have a big sign on my desk at the office was that skill is important, but luck is essential. And it is, yeah. but you do have to put yourself in position to get luck. But, you know, you need a little bit of luck. You got to be born at the right time. But if you keep working at it, you'll come to a lucky period. There is, for everybody has a lucky period. And it usually happens because you pick the right place to be. And, and don't be afraid to change. You know, you, and I was an engineer. Chemicals were a big I, mean, I was in chemicals before Dustin Hoffman, by the way. And I was, I was in, in plastics before he was. Right. And it turned out to be not the place for me. And I went on to finance, which turned out to be the exact place for me. It was, it was a perfect position. I was in, you know, the business went very well for a very long period of time. And I loved it. So, and that's what I want you to do. I want you to marry your passion to a trend. Mm-hmm. And that will basically make life a Life a little easier, a little less bumpy. But the life, life, the road of life is always under construction and recognize that. Yeah. It ain't simple. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Especially if you're a 40 year old with two small children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. But this is, my, this is my passion, which is now turning into something much bigger by accident, but now I found it. And I continue to do the other stuff as well. But you're, you're bang on. I mean, everything you're saying is just beautiful. It, it talks to me personally and a lot of the people I hang out Good. with as well. Thank we you. call ourselves mavericks sometimes. Um, how's the experience been for you? This is for me now, but how's the experience been for you today on Straight Talk? Uh, this conversation, I, I, there was no expectation set. We just went into the dialogue. It'd be good to get some input from you um, in terms this of- It's more fun than I've had. Feeling. And you know, I've had a lot of interviews. This is one of the best ones. And I, you know, I think you, you did your homework. You asked questions which were a little bit different, which obviously that's stimulating for me. All the questions would seem to get yeah. a little bit boring, which stimulated me. I think, you know, you're of a generation that can ask questions which can make me dig into my thought process and come up with something new. I came up with a couple of things today that I hadn't thought of before, which makes it really worthwhile. No, it's a good interview. I think it, I think it is straight talk. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much. A uh, real pleasure having you on this show. Um, for those who uh, would like to watch the episode, please subscribe to our channel. It's all free. Uh, not, it's, non, it's a non-profit mission. So the YouTube channel, the website, straighttalk.live, LinkedIn. And uh, we'll definitely get Ed back in the near future. So Ed, thank you so much. Thank Have you. A wonderful day. And uh, look after yourself and keep smiling and keep transmitting that amazing energy. It's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Have a great day. You too.